Welcome to PDBC's Tax Reform Readiness podcast series. This podcast is an excerpt from PDBC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series held on May 2, 2018, focusing on interaction of the international provisions in the recent tax reform legislation. The panelists for the webcast were Ken Kuykendall, a PDBC tax partner and our tax services leader, Mike Erse, a PDBC tax partner and leader of our international tax services practice, Sherry Grabo, a PDBC tax partner focusing on international tax issues, and Marco Fiacadori, a PDBC tax partner focusing on transfer pricing issues. This excerpt consists of a discussion among the panelists, providing a general overview of the FDII provision and the interaction of that with other new international provisions. Take a listen. All right. Why don't we uh, Why don't we move over to uh, foreign derived intangible income? And Marco, let's get you into the discussion here. So. Sure. Um, why don't you take us through just basics on FDII, and then we can dig into some of the interactions here. Yeah, so FDII, meaning foreign-derived intangible income, <clears throat> it's basically a portion of the U.S. income that allows the taxpayer to access, at least uh, in theory, a preferential rate of 13.1 to 5%, at least initially for a certain years. Um, this is by means of effectively being um, uh, accessing uh, you know, a Section 250 deduction, which is 37.5% for those years. Um, now, the concepts that are relating to sourcing are somehow interacting, but not interacting directly in defining what is foreign-derived. So first and foremost, there is an exercise and an application of the new law with respect to what, what does foreign-derived mean in this context and actually how it applies to uh, the facts that the taxpayers have at hand. Um, and so some of the work that we're seeing, and in particular, the, you know, just characterization essentially work, is to really identify that income and then eventually measure um, through the rules what that income is um, on a net basis, on a foreign-derived uh, intangible income basis. So there, is, there are a number of steps, and I, we're not going to be able to go through all the steps today. But the, the bottom line here is that uh, taxpayers that are really looking into these from an analytical standpoint are trying to um, you know, bifurcate this exercise in first understanding foreign-derived um, and that concept and the interplay with other concepts in the statute. And also the fact that you know, that concept is new, it's unclear how it's going to you know, really be interpreted. There is a lot of uh, language around um, satisfaction of the Treasury, which, of the Treasury which, of the Secretary, which means really there is uncertainty around how this will be in fact audited and, and and what kind of documentation will be essential to, to maintain that position. There is also some uh, form of general concerns from a policy standpoint, although expressed uh, publicly in numerous times that they believe there is no particular issue on a WTO standpoint, uh, you know, commentators, and, uh, you know, it's, it's reasonable at this stage to at least consider uh, potential scenarios where there will be challenges with respect to the ability to maintain and, and this uh, measure to survive beyond uh, a few initial years. Um, this affects also, um, as everyone understands, you know, some decisions around location of IP, uh, considerations around substance that, that IP uh, requires under global uh, rules, and you know, the opportunity now that uh, puts the U.S. on the radar compared to a situation where probably in the past the U.S. was defaulted out in, in many situations because, uh, because of the high tax rate and, and the challenges in, in uh, uh, maintaining an IP uh, income in the U.S. tax in the U.S. Um, now, with respect to the interactions, 
we mentioned the, the um, A61 rules as a way to actually operate operating and, and you know, measure and arrive at the at least deduction of eligible income, partly because some of the carve-outs that are needed are in fact carve-outs that are relate to, for example, guilty or subpart F or elements that already have that embedded, but also to effectively within the deduction eligible income determine what is foreign derived versus what is not. So we think you know, um, a reasonable use of 861 could be a way to go for many of the of the calculations, but also you know to to be seen whether uh, through some form of regulations or clarification there will be other methods or other approaches. One other item, for example, is that is popping up is foreign branch income and its measurement. So um, technical questions that ultimately will potentially have a you know any material impact depending on the facts, and and so we'll we'll see soon what what uh, you know what actually, uh, you know, Treasury will put out there. Um, with respect to... Um, Maybe, Marco, just to unpack a little bit of the comment you made there. So um, th there will be some sort of a WTO challenge to, to what happens as it relates to FDII. I mean, it, it's a beneficial provision included in here around patent boxes that, yep. that, that have been agreed to. So there'll be some form of challenge. But I think you hit on an important point, and that is discussions with Treasury or hearing Treasury's comments, they feel very confident in their ability to defend it. So a lot of times when I'm out talking to clients, that's the discussion that comes up. And, and, and I think it's it's unclear, but but certainly Treasury has a viewpoint that, that, um, that they would be successful in trying to defend it. I know a lot of clients are trying to evaluate to what extent they can avail themselves of that benefit right now. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty active discussion. Yeah, and even, you know, without changing entirely the operating model or thinking about, uh, you know, drastic changes in, in the footprint, uh, you know, it's still a benefit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the question is whether that benefit will will continue to stay on and be inexploitable or, you know, somehow just disappear or somehow challenged and, you know, the risk around it are, are still very much in play at this point. Um, again, I mentioned foreign derived um, as one of the uh, main questions in, in the very fundamental definition of what is actually being um, subject to to the um, and eligible to the deduction. So here are really two um, two pieces: the, the deduction eligible income of the taxpayer uh, that is derived in connection with first the property that is sold um, by the taxpayer to any person who is not a U.S. person, and that the taxpayer establishes at the satisfaction of the secretary is for a foreign use. And so here the key concepts are foreign use, and again there is this reference around satisfaction of, of secretary that you know. You document and how you really satisfy that that um, perspective. Um, the other is uh, services provided by the taxpayers that it establishes again to the satisfaction of the secretary are provided to any person or with respect to property not located within the U.S. Um, here, the key two two really two elements. So the meaning of provided. I think there are questions around what what does it really mean in this context, and second also. This ambiguity of these uh, or with respect uh, to property. So ambiguity with respect to the fact that should it be seen together with the um, location of the person and the property in conjunction, or it would allow basically to take either with you know with the, without really excluding the opportunity to be eligible if you were to fail one of the two. So questions around really the interpretation and how that will apply to the facts. Um, now, also important is. Um, just to clarify that the name uh, intangible, you know, the word intangible here, it's sort of a misnomer. I mean, 
there is effectively no particular attachment to uh, um, you know the source and the origin of that income. It's 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 really determined uh, through a mechanical um, uh, calculation, and so it's the yang to the guilty intangible. It, it, it's somehow you know it's an it, it's another word that has been used somehow from I would say from a, a you know policy perspective perhaps, but it, it does. And so changes in, for example, in uh, 367 and 42, you know, broadening statutorily the, um, you know, the, the actual definition of IP really don't have any particular impact in this case directly uh, into the determination of FDII. So something to keep in mind that, again, there may be uh, nuances in the language that need to be fully understood as, as you continue to model and develop your positions. Um, with respect to um, FDI, I also want to mention that um, you know a number of modeling activity is happening, um, also prospectively. So with respect to existing footprint, but also to changes in the model. So we'll spend a moment um, to discuss the um, you know the potential I, uh, you know scenarios that really are contemplated currently um, by a number of taxpayers. So in particular, with respect to the holding. And the ownership of IP, and you know the decision whether to hold it in the U.S. or offshore. In, in some cases, this may be existing IP. In some cases, maybe new IP. So there will be considerations around differentiating that uh, fact pattern that may be important uh, to establish here in the slide. We want to just very high level highlight um, again, abstracting away from some of the considerations that may erode um, the effective uh, tax rate. Uh, through expense allocation or through other elements to, to really show the, um, the trade-offs um, with respect to foreign tax versus, um, you know, U.S. Uh, potential benefit that arises from, uh, from FDII um, Section 250 deduction. So you see here on the right hand, um, foreign taxes varying from zero, um, so a very low um, uh, ladder uh, to um, sort of a, um, you know, up to uh, the, the threshold of 13.125, which, which we just mentioned, and then climbing up uh, in the sort of mid-range, you know, 13.125 to 20%. Um, this is where some of the interplays are clearly, importantly, um, uh, you know, at, in action to understand the, the trade-off. So, um, you know, the ETR, as, as uh, Sherry mentioned, you know, potentially increases as a result of the fact that the reducted uh, a reduced uh, um, uh, access to the uh, tax credit associated with guilty, for example, are available. Um, so it, 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 that, that element is one dimension. The other dimension is, um, you know, consideration about whether, in fact, uh, you want to uh, have a, a system, an IP uh, system that really um, is uh, anchored to the U.S. and so maybe reduces some of the flexibility that you may have uh, by keeping that IP offshore. Um, obviously, um, you know, a number of challenges may be put on, not only from a U.S. perspective, but from a foreign perspective. So the consideration around uh, DEMPI and all the, um, you know, substance uh, requirements that are expected at this point in, in worldwide taxation. I, I think those are elements where, you know, taxpayers are really, really focusing and, and the modeling is absolutely necessary before even, um, you know, debating whether this is a viable option or not. Marco and Mike, specifically, I want to come to you with maybe diving a little bit deeper in here. You're out talking to clients all the time in this space right now. What 
What are you guys seeing in the client space as it relates to how companies are evaluating this, both looking at FDII, but also just making the overall evaluation around, around intellectual property investments? Yeah, on FDII, I think we touched upon on many of these issues. Um, um, I, I think there is also, you know, depending on the fact pattern, some taxpayers are looking, for example, whether 367D is applying, um, whether, you know, they have the right fact, they have the right support. So we discussed, you know, the... Um, you know, the performance of services, where, whether it's in-house or um, uh, effectively outsourced to a third party. Um, there is also a lot of work, I think, around um, really getting consistency and getting a full holistic view. So FDI really is seen as a part of the broader exercise of the model. And, and I guess, Mike, you have views on yeah. that. I would just say, um, I agree with Marco's statement. I think the very first question you have to ask is, where can I support ownership of my IP? Where where does the business make sense? Where does it make sense? Where are your people who manage that IP? Um, once that, if if it really doesn't exist offshore, I think companies are modeling uh, potentially coming onshore. Uh, on the other hand, there are plenty of companies that have lots of substantive foreign locations, and they again are looking at the potential guilty implications of keeping the, the IP offshore. So the long and short of it is a lot of modeling. And as I'm going to talk about a little later, you can't just look at the this decision under the U.S. paradigm. There's so many changes going on, particularly in Europe, yeah. that have to be considered too. Yeah, I mean, Mike, maybe just to add context from, from my personal experience, I think it's interesting. I think you kind of mash the two of them together, but existing intellectual property that's out there, I think people are going through that analysis. I'm seeing more and more situations where companies are forming businesses or creating intellectual property, and when they model that out, the decision a lot of times is to, to leave that here or to create that, that intellectual property in the U.S., which is a new development, to be honest with you, in, in a post-reform world. But that's what the law is supposed to do. <laughs> that's absolutely right. So uh, the most common result coming from our audience was uh, business and operational considerations. So um, the things that people are thinking about the most here related to this is what's going on in business and operations. Not surprising, again, based upon some of the discussions we're having with clients. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about this topic, please email the participants whose email addresses can be found in the description of this episode.